listening to The Clemson Take with hosts Nate Newworth and Sean Place, a weekly podcast where we discuss movies, old and new. Going into 1917, I googled how long it would be and it said a year. And that's how we're starting these things off. So this week we talked about, we're going to talk about, and we went to the movies and saw the movie, 1917. We will also be discussing our top five movies of the year for 2019. Before we get into that, we should go over a little bit about who we are. We are in Mock Turtle Soup together. And thanks to them, this episode is sponsored by Clemson's Best and Only Improv Troupe. Comedy Improv with shows once a month, every semester. Mock Turtle Soup. How would you classify your movie taste for those out there that have never met you? Although we probably have two listeners and they're both my mom. (laughs) I would say that my taste is definitely towards action, adventure. Every once in a while, I really do like a good comedy. But for the most part, I do like drama and thrillers. And I do have a slight bias towards wanting to see them. That's totally fair. I would say that I I love a thriller. I love sci-fi. Anything... Honestly, if you write well, I'll be happy to see it. I love some pretty wacky out there movies as well. Would you say that it's fair to say that if I'm... I would describe my taste in movies as, like, lightly pretentious. Would you Would you say it's fair to say that if, if you're IMDb, I'm like the Rotten Tomatoes? I would 100% agree with that. <laughs> Are you sure you wouldn't, like, give it a 57% agreement rating, or...? I'd give it an 8 out of 10 stars agreement rating, according to IMDb. Ah, I see, I see. So, like you said, we're going to be going over 1917. But first, you want to talk about our top five movies of the year? This whole year, actually, I did enjoy for movies from the spring on through summer into the fall, into the award season movies. I think we had some gems throughout the year, really. Honestly, this was this was probably one of the best years for movies in a really long time. I didn't see nearly as many of them as I would have wanted, but I feel like I've added so many movies, at least to my list of movies to see from what I've heard from other people. Exactly. And we have to have a disclaimer here is because we didn't decide to do a podcast at the very end of the year. So we are missing some movies from our top five movie favorite list and like Parasite, I have to admit, I didn't see, and I know people are saying it's like the best thing ever, but that's not going to be on my list because I didn't see it. Uh, same for me. I'm I'm planning on trying to watch it at some point next week, hopefully, but some other movies that I didn't see that could very easily, from what I hear, have broken into my top five list. Jojo Rabbit, I love Taika Waititi, Booksmart, Farewell, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, Cats, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, cats. So I'm going to start off by naming my number five movie. Go ahead. Joker. Okay. Excellent, excellent. Joker. I, and I, my list in general is a mix between movies that really made me think, but also movies that I do want to watch. I know I'm going to watch in the future over and over again. So, and I know Joker is just one of those movies where even though I probably won't watch it religiously, like some people watch The Office or Friends or their favorite movie, I know I'll definitely watch it at least once a year, even if not twice. Well, I think the the biggest difference between uh, Joker and The Office or Friends is that Joker is kind of a downer. <laughs> so yeah, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect you to watch it like on repeat. But yeah, no, it was a really good movie. I enjoyed it thoroughly and Joaquin Phoenix was incredible. And your number five? My number five is Martin Scorsese's The Irishman. Okay, 
Interesting. Did you see this movie? I did. I did watch it when it first came out, and I watched over the course of two days. I did about half, like around like 10 p.m. at night, and then I woke up at like 11 a.m., and I was like, I'm going to finish this movie. Yeah, it, it, it is quite lengthy, but I am a, a diehard Scorsese mm-hmm. fan, and I grew up reading books, like nonfiction books, about gangsters. So to get to experience like a Scorsese gangster classic in this day and age just felt really cool. I know Al Pacino, you, all these guys just came together. It's like they decided we're just going to make a mob movie the way we want to make it. And I think Netflix really allowed them to do that. I also didn't realize how much I like Joe Pesci, but like in an actual, like I love him way because in the, <laughs> in the end, this isn't really a spoiler. He's, he's old at the end. He's just feeble looking and his hands are shaking. I just teared up seeing him like that because I was like, we're going to lose Joe Pesci one day. Yeah. That's tragic. You can go into your number four now. Number four, equally as tragic, if not more so, The Lighthouse. Okay. Okay, now this, I know, I was really debating putting in my top five because when I went and saw it, when we went and saw it, it was freaky, but I put it in my top five because it was freaky. I think it really did push the limits of filmmaking. If you haven't seen this movie, watch it once. You'll probably never really want to watch it again after that. I don't know if I, how many times I'll continue watching it into the future, but just the aspect ratio, the camera angles, the acting from Robert Patterson and Pattinson. Yep. <laughs> I know I know my actors. But the lighthouse, this isn't a spoiler, but this is the lighthouse in that movie they built to fit the aspect ratio of the camera. So the couch is shorter, the beds are shorter, and that just takes that's just impressive to me. So will I continue watching it year after year? I don't know, but I have mad respect for this movie. So I'm gonna jump in really quick because you kinda jumped the gun on me. Because my number one movie of the year is The Lighthouse. Really? Really. I will watch this movie again and again. Robert Eggers is incredible. I I said at the out that I like wacky movies, and this movie is completely bonkers. Like, it's ridiculous. Some of the scenes in here, you, I felt like I was losing my mind watching it. A lot of people, like with my number five movie, Joker, they came out and they said, you know, I felt different leaving the theater. I, not so much with Joker, but with The Lighthouse, we, we left that theater, we looked at each other, and we went... What did we just watch? <laughs> exactly. And I, I loved every second of it. That, that appeals to me to quite an extent. It made me feel something that I don't ordinarily feel. And maybe that was insane. Maybe it was that I felt like I was losing my mind. But yes, I loved every second of it. Robert, Robert Eggers was amazing in making this movie. Uh, Willem Dafoe, Robert yes. Pattinson, as yes. you named, were incredible. It's such a good movie. I love it so much. I could talk about it all day. And, you know, I I loved the movie as much as what went on on set. But the chemistry between the actors, the rehearsing because of the weather uh, was bad, even without them having to add in extra rain. And it's just everything that went into that film was good. But because of the freaky factor for me, solid number four. That's completely fair. I'm just glad it made it into your list. I'm going to move on to my number four now, since I've been talking about my number one. You saw that one. <laughs> my number four movie of the year was Marriage Story, directed by Noah Baumbach. And that's one I have to admit I haven't watched yet. It's on Netflix. It's on my list to watch, but I have heard amazing things about it. The first 10 minutes I've probably watched like five times. Just him introducing the characters is done so well. It is also a downer of a movie. Mm -hmm. All of the movies so far that I've had on my list aren't like the happiest movies. It was a sad year for movies. Yeah, but also a really great one. 
you know, uh, Scarlett Johansson, always going to go see her in whatever movie she's doing. Uh, we also plan on watching her Black Widow movie later this spring, so stay tuned for that. Also, quick shout out to Adam Driver, because that guy is incredible. My number three is also a Netflix film, The Highwaymen. Never saw it. I don't think I heard of it either. Yeah, I didn't see it get too much publicity or marketing, but I definitely recommend it. It has Kevin Costner and Woody Harrelson, both phenomenal acting jobs by both of them. They're Texas Rangers and they're being brought back to hunt Bonnie and Clyde. And it gives that detective narrative of the story, really personal account, storytelling, acting, everything's on point. And I know that, and the reason it's number three for me is because I know that any given day I can sit down and watch this movie and I know I'm going to enjoy it. I'll have to add it to my list. My number three movie the Safdie Brothers' Uncut Gems. Mm, interesting. Have you seen this one? I did. I went and saw it over Christmas break. This movie is a whole-ass heart attack. <laughs> I... Oh, my God. I just don't think I've ever watched someone so consistently make the wrong decision as Adam Sandler's character did. And it gives... This movie serves as a warning, I think. No, I'm not going to say anything, but... If you haven't seen it, at least go watch it once. The reason it didn't make my list is because I did feel like it drug on a little too long for me. I, I think that's fair at some points, but the ending for me, I've never felt as tense during a sports game as the one at the end of this, which is shocking because I like sports. Mm -hmm. But I was throwing my hands up like in celebration in the middle of a movie theater while Kevin Garnett was sinking baskets in a movie. And I was like, oh, my God, he made it. I, that's shocking. <laughs> yeah, and I, I did enjoy that film. It just didn't make my top five. I do recommend at least watching it at least once. That's fair. Adam Sandler was incredible. Deserves I, – Which I, is surprising for you. So he's someone who I actually really like him as an actor, but at the same time I hate probably 95% of the things that he's been in. Basically, Punch Drunk Love and this mm -hmm. are like the two things that I really, really absolutely love by him. And he was incredible. He deserves an award. I should have mentioned this earlier. Willem Dafoe got stiffed on nominations. Yes, I completely agree. From, uh, the Lighthouse, for sure. See, I think Happy Gilmore is just one of those movies for me where it's like, I'm sick. I have the flu. I'm laying in bed. I'm throwing on Happy Gilmore. I don't care. That is one of his films that has a lot of sentimental value for me. That's one of his few comedies that I will go back and watch and really thoroughly enjoy. My number two film... 1917, the film we're talking about today. I know you said last night that you were going to think about it before you threw it on any major list. And I know it didn't have a major release until 2020, but it did officially release Christmas of 2019, not 1919. <laughs> <laughs> Getting my years mixed up here. It's called 1917. And but So it did technically release, and I really enjoyed it. I think this... We're going to go into full detail, but like I said, this is one of those movies that I know that I can just sit down. I feel comfortable watching this movie with anybody, and I know I can pick it, something new out of it every time I watch it, I feel. Right. Obviously, like you said, we'll save all the really in-depth discussion for the actual review that we're coming up on. But I think by the time we watched it, I was just very married to my list. Mm -hmm. I think it very easily could be on this list. It's definitely good enough to be. It's an incredible film. We'll talk more about it in a minute, but... I loved it intensely. My number two film, though, is a movie I don't know if you've seen. It. I don't think I've talked to you about it yet. Is Little Women. Okay, I have not seen that one. Just because, like I said in the disclaimer, really not my type of film to go watch. I, I do plan on watching it. Everybody says they love it. Um, people I've talked to say I should go see it. I'll probably wait for it 
on like a Netflix release to watch it though, to be honest. Right. And see, I thought the same thing at the time. I was under the impression whenever I was watching the trailer that it was just a regular PG rated period piece, which as a guy who tends to enjoy thrillers and Quentin Tarantino and stuff Mm -hmm. like that, kind of the furthest thing away from it as you could possibly get. But I went solely because it was directed by Greta Gerwig, who did mm-hmm. Lady Bird in the past. I was a big fan of that. Wanted to support her work. Knew she had something good up her sleeve. And she absolutely did, because this movie says a lot about love and loss and creativity. And it was incredible. And I'm losing my breath. But <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> and now before we get to a number ones, we're going to talk about some of our runner-ups that made it. I have three. You have three as well. That didn't quite make the cut, but are good movies and on my list are fun to watch. My first runner-up is Knives Out. That's also one of mine. There's tons of fun. It's a fun movie. It's a whodunit. Love a whodunit. Love any sort of mystery, murder mystery, clue. It's great. I honestly, this is, like I said, one of those movies that I can watch over and over and over again. But I don't think, for analyzing so much, when you look at Joker, The Lighthouse, I don't think it really makes the cut past those two. Joker is also one of my Mm -hmm. honorable mentions, but we've already discussed that, so... I'll go on to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That's one of mine as well. As I said, big Quentin Tarantino fan. I had some problems with the pacing, thought it dragged in some parts, but you could inject the last 30 minutes into my veins. Exactly. Same here. And for me, it it just, I know it was more like an ode to old Hollywood. This was his piece that he really wanted to show his nostalgia for, movies he kind of grew up watching. But for me, I just would have liked to see a little bit more of a plot line. That's fair. I I think it also is helped by a rewatch for me because going in, I thought it was going to be about the Manson murders mm-hmm. and it was very much not about the Manson murders. It was about Rick Dalton, this fictional actor and his journey through acting. And then my third runner up, which I don't think you saw, was 21 Bridges. I did not. I thoroughly enjoyed 21 Bridges. I thought it was extremely entertaining. And one aspect of this movie that I really liked right away when I was sitting in the theater was the sound design. There are suppressors used on the weapons in this movie. And for once, Hollywood didn't make them sound like mouse farts. They sounded like realistic gunshots still. And so I thought the sound design was really well done. Very nice. Would you like to reveal your number one movie? Jojo Rabbit. Oh, I want to see it so badly. It's like what TD's incredible. Jojo Rabbit, it... I mean, if you if someone sees this movie and didn't like it, I can understand if some people are, are for the premise of, you know, being about fascism. But it's not about fascism. It's about how we can overcome fascism and everyone can accept everyone and love everyone. And it's done through the eyes of a little boy. And it's got it pulls on your heartstrings. It makes it made me laugh out loud in the theater. It's it's got everything for me. Well, it's a satire, right? Yes, it's exactly. okay. so it's. It's a satire. And I love dark humor. So any movie about a child with Taika Waititi playing his imaginary friend Hitler, I think bound to be a good one. It's one of those that you can go and laugh every time at the same jokes. As we said, great year in movies. Those were just some of our favorites. Big year ahead of us, too. Mm -hmm. Most anticipated movie of 2020, Nate? I think for the spring season and one we'll get to cover would have to be the new James Bond film coming up, No Time to Die. Big fan of James Bond, own the box set. This is going to be Daniel Craig's last film as James Bond. As far as we know, Bond 25. So I don't see him coming back to this role. And they're kind of setting it up as that. For spring, definitely looking forward to it. For me, so I I want to quickly mention, this isn't the movie that I was going to say, but Tenet mm-hmm. by Christopher as well, Nolan. As well. Love Christopher Nolan. Anything he touches, I'll watch. Happy to go see that. But 
Dune for the end of the year. Yes. It's one that I'm heavily looking forward to. Yes. We have a podcast coming up at some point later uh, in this semester about Denis Villeneuve, the director. And I'm currently reading the book, which is very fortunate timing. And I cannot wait to watch this movie and see what he does with it because he is such an incredible director. I saw the board game for Dune at Barnes and Nobles. $50, <laughs> $50 for the board game. Think it's a little overpriced? I do, but it did come with a lot of things, so maybe Santa will bring it to me. Maybe the movie will convince you that it is adequately priced. Maybe. <laughs> I hope so. I have high hopes for Dune as well. All right. We've talked about movies from last year. We've talked about movies from this year. Time to talk about one that kind of came out in both years. <laughs> That's uh, right. 1917, we're going to start out talking spoiler-free for a short segment. After a certain amount of time, we will let you know that we are going to switch to spoilers. There is no need to worry if you just want to hear our initial thoughts. Spoiler free. We'll let you know this is what we're going to call our open take portion of the show. Spoiler free. And then when we go into our closed take, that'll be our spoiler review where we're going to spill all the beans. Alrighty, here we go. 1917 is a World War I film about two soldiers, Schofield and Blake, who are tasked with traveling through enemy territory to deliver orders to a different unit to keep them from walking into a trap. 1,600 lives will be lost if they cannot complete their mission, one of those being Blake's brother, who is a lieutenant in the other unit. This film is directed by Sam Mendes, who has also directed Skyfall, and one of my all-time favorites, American Beauty. We would also be remiss to not mention that the cinematography was done by Roger Deakins, who has done some incredible work over the years with movies like Skyfall, Blade Runner 2049, and No Country for Old Men. And I reckon cinematography is the perfect place to start with this film. But first, really quickly, Nate, did you like this movie, Yes, No, or Mixed Bag? Yes, obviously. Yeah, I, I have that right now. Uh, realize that you already put it in your top five. Uh, I also kind of said this. I do also like this movie. <laughs> Let's get this thing rolling then. So what's, uh, what's so significant about how this is shot? One take. Well, it's edited to appear that it was done entirely in one take. Continuity did an awesome job. There are definitely parts in the movie I kept my eye out for where, like, where would I make an edit? Where would I... Where would it be easy to make this seamless? And I did see a few part points in that movie, but other times I was like, man, where would they pause for a, a lunch break during this movie? It was really good. Right, because it wasn't like, I mean, like you said, there are moments where you can, the screen goes really dark and you're like, oh, that like that's where they, that's where they cut. But there are also moments where they just actually do really long takes of them just walking and talking. And you're like, wow, it's really impressive. I love a long take mm -hmm. Yep, a lot. And so to watch them walking around, and acting for such a long amount of time without any breaks, I think is really very immersive, very cool, incredible. Exactly. And acting was phenomenal during those takes. In order to sustain a performance, I guess more so, I think uh, Samuel L. Jackson, you know, he came from theater and he says an actor, you can't just walk onto a movie set and be an actor, you know, and he says people who don't have theater backgrounds are entertainers they're not actors there's a difference there and so just because in theater you have to sustain a performance for a longer amount of time and you know with shots and edits and cuts and in between things it's easier according to him but for these long takes it appears to me that it wasn't like a bunch of little cuts there was they did use long takes to stitch together and so the acting performance sustained throughout these long takes was also very good uh, when you started that sentence, I was really desperately trying to search my memory to think of when Samuel L. Jackson appeared in that movie. He did not, for those listening. For those listening, he did not appear in that movie. He, they just happened to bring up a quote by him. And, you know, uh, one of my favorite long takes is, is Goodfellas. When, 
Martin Scorsese. Martin Scorsese again. And he, when they go through the kitchen and he's showing everybody this world that he wants you to be a part of. And this movie really does suck you into the world. And I didn't get tired of it. Sometimes a long take can make you feel tired. But this movie did a really well job. I was, I felt like I was in that world. I, yeah, I'll, because I'll admit, I, like I said, I do love long takes, but I was slightly worried going into it that it would get a bit gimmicky at some point mm-hmm. and that it would kind of drag on me. And it was like, ah, eh, they did this just to do it. But Roger Deakins knows what he's doing. Sam Mendes yes. knows what he's doing. They're geniuses at their craft. I have no faults with that part of it. I thought it was a great decision and it panned out really well. Exactly. Another one, I don't know if you've seen this movie, but Children of Men. I don't know if I have. It's on my list at the very least. I think it came out around 2003 and there's a really long shot where there's the premise of the movie for those that don't know is babies have stopped being born. And so, and no one knows why. And so there is a shot in that movie where they're trying to get a baby to be born and there's a war in the middle of a war zone for all things. And it's just so much happening. And I think that's one thing I really appreciated is because 1917, you world war one you are in a war zone and it it felt like the camera could pan anywhere and i would have seen anything going on and i think that's one thing that when i say i felt like i was in that world is just the ability to move seamlessly from one trench line to another or from one conversation to another the camera could have turned around and i wouldn't even have expected there to be a cameraman standing there what a world it is i don't know if you knew this nate but world war one was not fun really i I went into this thinking it was going to be a joyride, that everyone was going to be smiling the whole time. But I'll actually, like, people died in World War One. There were bodies just strewn everywhere. And the trenches, they're not they're not what they're cracked up to be. I, I had no idea. Yeah, I, uh, that one threw me for a loop. But, you no, know, this was a horrific movie. Like, there were so many moments where there was just bloated bodies lying around and you're just, Ugh. it's disgusting, but amazing. And they didn't overdo it. It's not like a horror movie where it was, like, senseless blood hitting the camera and screen everywhere but it did really show you what it could have been like nothing is more horrific than reality thanks for that sean (laughs) (laughs) sorry to get dark there but uh (laughs) sean watched a little too much of the lighthouse and joker (laughs) hey maybe yeah but (laughs) what do you think of the characters in this movie i like them i did and I want to say, because at the beginning I did think, I was like, wow, how is this? For me, I was struggling to find character development in the in the beginning of the film, but just because there isn't a lot of dialogue. But it was interesting how they used char- the situation to promote character development instead of conversation and dialogue to promote it. I thought that was done really well. I think that that's kind of what you have to do in a warm film, because it's hard to just make time especially with these guys being like on the clock Mm -hmm. it's hard to make time to for someone to sit down and pour their heart out Mm -hmm. so you just have to watch them do it and like yeah i would have liked to have known more about the characters at times but i think it would have ultimately made the movie worse if we had slowed down and stopped it i think the basic explanation or like preface we would give to our audience that's out there thinking about watching the movies is schofield is a little more weathered by war Mm -hmm. a little bit more pessimistic Mm -hmm. whereas blake is a lot more excited by it. Maybe he does think the trenches are a little uh, exciting. 
I, I, you know, I mean, I think he does bring, we see that so often in war movies, usually have the new guy that comes in and he's just a little bit more optimistic than the rest, a little bit more fresh than the rest. And he kind of brings that with him a little bit. Right. He seems very pleased, you know, just at the notion of like winning a medal for bravery, whereas our other soldier is like, that involves a lot of death. And he could care less. Yeah. What about pacing? I thought it was well done because one of my... One of my negative points is what I'm trying to say about the movie is I did feel like there could have been a little bit more action for me to kind of push things along. Other than that, I think the pacing was pretty well. I guess I'm just used to like war movies, Saving Private Ryan, big, fantastic war films where they have a lot of action and it's just kind of constant in your face. And this movie doesn't really have that too much. I guess I'm just used to that and I was kind of expecting a little bit more of that. Not disappointed, just that's what I was expecting. I agree. This movie definitely probably gives you a lot more time to breathe than most war movies. I, I feel like it was fitting considering that it was just two guys going on this mission that we did get chances to follow them and listen to them dialogue here and there without bullets constantly flying at them, mm-hmm. which also I think added to the realism because yes. two guys would not have survived if they had just had a barrage of bullets coming at them every second of the movie. Yeah, this isn't the Alpha Team or this or Red or anything like that where they can, you know, fly an Abrams tank out of a C-130 and land it on a helicopter and fly off into the sunset kind of movie. <laughs> Although those can be entertaining, this movie isn't like that. And I think a lot of people had fears that this was just going to be a repeat of Saving Private Ryan. Guys going to find someone to save, you know, and I, I can say with confidence that it isn't like Saving Private Ryan. It is 100% its own movie. Uh, the only real thing I have left, left to talk about in the open take on my docket is the score. I thought it was incredible. Mm-hmm. I, it added so much tension at parts. It made some shots twice as beautiful, in my opinion. And it, it really added to the film. I think now we're going to move into our closed take portion of the show with, well, with the spoilers. Right. So at this point, if you haven't seen it, I, my, my opinion is go and watch it. Like right now, don't don't get this thing spoiled. Go and watch it. You feel the same, mate? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this movie's definitely worth watching before listening to us blab about it. Completely fair. Did you have a favorite scene from this movie? I think my favorite scene, the one I keep thinking about over and over again, is the very last scene. Granted, it's one long take, right? So one could argue it's just one giant scene with different <laughs> settings. Fair. But the very last moments of the film. So the, the movie starts off, and we have Schofield who is a lance corporal is resting against a tree and when I, I will be completely honest i when we started this movie i thought he was the secondary slash even foil character for blake i thought blake was going to be our protagonist and hey he was going to be like a secondary protagonist but when it ended so the movie started with him resting against a tree and it ended with him resting against a tree and although the ending hinted at a little bit more peace the colors were more saturated there was a sunset and he looked more at peace with what he had just done. Then in the beginning of the film, he looked tired and dirty and just wanted to be done with things at the end. And when he rested against that tree at the end, it just hit home for me. That was like, man, this is just every day in the life for this guy. Like he could sleep on next to that tree and he'll wake up and there's the chance he might have to do the same thing tomorrow. Right. I mean, whenever he finally gets there and he delivers the message to the general, he's like, all right, you can go now. I've had enough of you. And yeah, that and Benedict Cumberpatch, who is the colonel. Right. 
who is trying to attack the Germans. So the Germans have pulled back into a strategic retreat and it's a trap. And so Benedict Cumberpatch sends his men to attack. And so that's what they're trying to stop. Blake and Schofield are trying to stop this attack from happening. He gets and delivers the message. And like you said, the colonel's just like, and he even, even says, he even says it. He goes, you know, tomorrow we attack. One week from now, we rest. Two weeks now, we retreat. It doesn't matter. Today, we don't attack. And so it just goes to show. And then he's like, to quote the movie, he says, fuck off, Lance Corporal. Yeah. Just sends him away. Like, didn't really care at all about all of the struggles that he'd gone through. It didn't really mean that much to him. He couldn't see it. And he just sent them away. I think Schofield and the Colonel both knew that today it's this. Tomorrow, it's a completely new story. Right. And also, another thing to add on to that final scene. I thought it was, so you see that he actually has a wife and two children. Yes. Which I thought was also nice because earlier in the movie, we see him with this French lady and her child, or someone's child. Someone's child. They have no idea whose. And she, throughout that whole conversation, I was wondering, I was like, man, it would be realistic if at some point there's an actual language barrier where they're not able to figure out what the other one is saying. Mm -hmm. Because for the most part, they were able to struggle their way through it. And she asked him at one point, do you have children? And he just doesn't respond presumably because he doesn't know that much French. And so I didn't think twice about it at the time. I was like, hey, look at that. He doesn't have perfect French. Yeah. That's realistic. He just didn't even answer. But then it comes back later and we see that he does. And it adds to that scene, I think, a lot more. And so let's. I guess we can start from the beginning. Which is perfect because that was my favorite scene. Really? Yes. Specifically, whenever – so whenever they first get the orders – to whenever they make it beyond no man's land because they get the orders and immediately Blake is, he's in a hurry. He wants to go save his yes. brother Schofield. Like we said in the, the uh, open take very reluctant, very much saying we should take our time. Like we're going to get ourselves killed. If we rush in there, mm-hmm. Blake cares only for his brother in this moment. He's rushing. Uh, they get to the front line. One of my favorite characters that I forgot to mention before, Andrew Scott. He was in Fleabag. He is the uh, the guy leading the front line, and he is just dripping with sarcasm when he sends them out. Tells mm-hmm. them, he's like, once they start getting shot at, throw your throw your flare guns back because I hate losing these uh, yeah. guns, you know. And it was just great. It just showed frontline troops their complete attitude. And so I think this, well, like I said. I really expected Schofield to be the secondary character. I did not expect Blake to die so quickly in the film. I mean, it was probably like the first 30 minutes. I, I feel like it was, I feel like it was more like the halfway point. At was least it? that's where it is in my memory. Oh, well, I don't know. But he dies. Cause I, I felt like, and, and maybe it was just because of how tense that first scene was of them crossing no man's land. Mm-hmm. But it I just felt, felt like I, forever. I felt, yeah, it, it did. But in like a really good way. Honestly, I thought whenever Schofield stuck his hand inside of a dead man's body mm. with his already slashed up hand, the first thought that went through my mind was, that thing's not going to last. He's, I know. he's losing that hand. Yeah, I know. I thought I was like, oop, there he goes, gangrene. And I kind of want to talk a little bit about more Schofield and his character development, because that was one of my worries was like character development. Because we see him not really wanting to go. He almost dies in the German trenches once they cross no man's land. He goes from this person that doesn't really want to do this. And after Blake's dead, he carries on the mission. I mean, it is orders are orders, right? Like he was going to do it, but it turned almost into a, a personal vendetta for him. Like I got I have to do this for Blake and for Blake's brother. Right. So obviously Blake was heavily motivated because it is his actual brother that's at stake. But I think there was definitely a turning point as Blake was dying in his arms, that it kind of sunk in for Schofield that he needs to now 
carry on this mission and complete it for his brother in arms. And I think Schofield learns, at least what I took away from it, he learns to value life again. He kills, I think, three people in the movie, three Germans in the movie. He kills the pilot, he kills the young boy, and then he kills the sniper. Well, the sniper, then the young boy, right? Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he kills three people out of the film. He was in the Battle of the Somme, which was just an absolute nightmare as it is. And I think over the course of this movie, he really does learn to value life. We see him losing a friend. And I think that's obviously a turning point in the movie when, right. when Blake tries to help the pilot. And I don't blame the pilot for trying for killing Blake because he was not in a good place. He had third degree burns from the waist down. He didn't know what was going on. He just saw an English guy, pulled his knife, and then Schofield shot him. I blame him. I'm still very sad. Yeah. Damn that man. <laughs> I'm, I mean, I, you understand it, but I, I understand. I can't totally empathize or no, I can't sympathize, but I can empathize. Cause okay. I, I think if there was a foreign soldier and they were, if I was able to make out that they're assisting me and trying to help me, I wouldn't then kind of say, eh, I'm going to take this opportunity to kill you because you're, you're on the other side. I think I would, if I were in that position, I'd like to think that I would, thank them and i'd kind of surrender myself and say like okay you're you're trying to save my life i'm not mm-hmm. gonna end yours for doing so and of the midst of this war so he loses his friend and of course he's probably lost many friends and then i think that in that moment he's like i really have to do this for blake and one moment where i think they're really sh- screaming at us the value of life middle of a war zone german occupied territory and he finds that baby that girl age unknown right but she has the baby and i babies represent a beginning they represent new life obviously birth but not necessarily in the physical sense in this sense sort of a rebirth for schofield exactly i think it's in this moment that he truly becomes a new person so once blake dies personal vendetta he meets the baby and it be it's this new birth for schofield and he sees the world kind of in this new light where it's not just death 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 all the time on the death note though I did want to go more in depth on Blake's death. Okay. I thought that was very powerful from, for the one take to follow Schofield in that moment, because it was very sudden Blake's death. Yes. Schofield is off to the side getting water. And suddenly you hear just Blake's kind of squeal, cry out, say, no, 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 what are you doing? And we turn around and he's on the ground and the German has a knife. Schofield shoots him twice. And then next thing we know, Blake is tearing open his shirt to reveal that he has been stabbed, he's bleeding out, and it was followed up by what I think was probably the most powerful performance moment of the film yes. between the two of them. And this moment, honestly, I didn't know how... It must have been some pretty cool movie magic to make his face go pale um, as he was bleeding out. Um, it was very realistic, and long takes are usually used to say, hey, look at this, be in the moment. But since we already had this long take, I mean, there really was nowhere for us as an audience to escape. Definitely not. As much as I'm sure many of us would have liked to, would have gone back to maybe five minutes previous whenever they were alive and well and drinking milk. Yeah. Filling up their their canteens with milk, which came in handy later. I kept thinking to myself, like, what could that possibly represent? Because there's there's got to be special significance with finding the cow's milk, presumably okay. Recently, the cow was recently milked. And so I kept trying to think of a symbol for this. I don't know if you were able to think of anything. Well, milk, milk helps give life. So the farm giveth life and the farm taketh away name. Amen to that. <laughs> and so, and yeah, I think I was trying to think like, what does milk do? It's like, it, it's a strengthening factor. 
And so what did this do, especially in that moment when he finds the baby and the baby needs milk and he hands over the cow milk, it's a strengthening moment for Schofield and the French people. It's like a moment of resolve. Right. He really hands over everything that he has at that point. He's throwing everything he has at her. And I think the reason that's a big turning point is because he becomes selfless. The whole movie, he was like, I'm going to die. Why would you choose me? And that moment, he finally... It had building up, and finally, he just go. I think it was the perfect moment for him to be like, okay, yes, this isn't about me anymore. I also think that since we're talking about the one-take movie, we should talk about the cut, because there is one cut. There is, here exactly. That's, I mean, there are several cuts in the movie, but there's one that is meant to be a cut. And that is when he passes out on the... Well, he hits his head and is knocked out on the stairs. Also, they never... Did they address this? Did the thing, his metal casing, was that, did that block the bullet? I don't know. I didn't catch that, to be perfectly honest. Because he did pull it out at the end. I, I bet there was a, I bet it was indented with a bullet, because I assumed at the time that that was how he survived, mm. whenever he was hit. Yeah, and he hit his head pretty hard. I mean, there was blood coming right. off the back of his head. Almost more importantly than the cut is the sequence that followed it of him moving through the, the city during the night with the lights going crazy. The score roaring and him getting shot at, getting shot at, trying to survive at all costs. And I definitely I think the best moment of cinematography for me yeah. in the film. Yeah, I completely agree. And how it followed him, not only running through the street, finding the French woman. And then after that moment, he kills the young German boy and the camera follows him. He jumps off the waterfall, which I think there was another cut there. You can I, I think if I was going to make a cut, it'd be during that waterfall sequence. Right. Also, as someone... I, I've gone like small time, like white water rafting, mm-hmm. and I was very anxious watching him float through this river. Pro tip: lie on your back, put your legs first, because I was waiting for him to just bash his head on a rock and just oh yeah, die completely right there. One other thing I think we should talk about is death. How they're really surrounded in it. That's heavy. <laughs> More so. Because they're resting, the movie starts off with them resting, and then they go into no man's land. And one big moment for me is when he cuts his hand, and then he sticks it into the corpse of that dead guy. <laughs> because, you know, Blake pushes him, you know. Right. That is just, I mean, for me, that's Sam Mendes screaming at us going, look, he's literally in death. Like, it is all around you. You cannot escape it. Bodies floating. And every moment, every moment there's death. He's got one hand in the grave, as they say. <laughs> Do they say that? Got <laughs> <laughs> a variation of that. <laughs> and he, he has his hand in it um, when he's floating. He has to literally crawl over the bloated bodies to get out of the river. It's one of those things, because he's floating in the river and there's those cherry blossom petals coming down. Any other moment, it could have been a beautiful day, but it was a moment of, well, back at it because you got to crawl over these bloated bodies. And so literally being in it and among it and having to commit it, what kind of toll do you think did that have on his mind and his body as he was trying to deliver this message and his character development throughout this? Uh, Well, body, I'm shocked he's still walking. There's a moment when he's Mm -hmm. in the water where he's just floating on his back and he starts to go under. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that might be it. Like, you, that's physical exhaustion at its finest. Mental, too. I mean, he's lost, like I said, his brother in arms. And that moment as he's floating there and he sees the white petals, which he had had a previous discussion with Blake about whenever he was going over the different plants that his mom used to have in his orchard. And honestly, in that moment, Schofield is like Blake's older brother. 
not, and I got such a brotherly vibe from them. The way they remarked back and forth, you know, the younger brother, like going through life, going through the war, like <laughs> telling funny stories and yeah. stuff. And the older one, you know, a little bit more remorseful for the war. It's piss off. I've seen this. I'm weathered beyond my years. And so they did have that kind of that brotherly bickering vibe. And so when they shook hands, when Schofield and Blake's older brother shook hands, it was like we it, and they paused on the handshaking. And it was like a moment where it said we were both almost the older brother to this young kids. Right. His actual brother, the older Blake, Lieutenant Blake. I felt like it was also kind of a thank you. I, I imagine yes. to an extent he feels unjustly guilty for having not been there because he he's the older brother he probably grew up thinking that this is my job to protect him yeah and to hear that he's passed away in war he probably is very upset to learn that he wasn't there but he's also grateful that he had this other guy Schofield there with him to look over him and to help him as much as he could it was just such a, a moment of, of respect and reverence. And then, right, like I said, led up into that moment where he could finally rest and reflect upon everything that had happened within the past, what, 20 hours? Probably. A little less. A little, I, mean, I think a little less. But, yeah, which also is important for the cut because I was wondering how they were going to... Pass the night? Yeah. I, I was thinking, surely this movie won't take place over two actual hours like of their lives. And so I, I, I felt <laughs> or like 18 of it's an 18 hour movie. Get ready yeah, to see. So that's, that, I also was thinking about, like, Oh my God. Which is why I looked up the length of the movie. Not a year. Yeah. And so that's why it was my number two movie. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Like I said, this is, we watched it last night. I plan on watching it more and I plan to get more and more out of it as I watch it. I think this is one of those movies that's really just going to, be like fine wine, just get better with age. I also plan on rewatching it several times. Like I kind of said earlier, could very easily have squeaked its way into my list. It's certainly good enough to be there. I mean, hopefully by now you have watched it if you're listening to this part of the podcast. Mm-hmm. But if you just didn't care and blew straight through and heard the spoilers just because you love our voices, just go and watch it. It's it's well worth it. Even if you've heard the spoilers, you'll still get a lot out of it. It's one of those. I think everybody can take something slightly different out of this movie. Sam Mendes, I've never really been disappointed with anything he's been involved with. That's, I think, a fair assessment. Do you think? Uh, do you think next week we'll be as excited about our movie, Nate? I have mixed feelings for it. It'll be. <laughs> it's interesting to okay. say the least. It, I think it will be fascinating for one reason and one reason only. At least as far as I'm concerned, and that's the lead actor. What are we watching next week, Nate? We're watching Doolittle. Starring Robert Downey Jr. We get to see what he does with his career post-Marvel. And that in itself, I think, is pretty interesting. He is still wearing the ball and chain that is attached to Disney, though. Call back to a studio era where actors only did for, acted for one studio? To be determined. It looks like a good family fun movie. Am I excited for it? Sure. <laughs> I mean, I, I'd like to go in with a I'll try to go in with as positive of a mindset as I can. I'm not anticipating enjoying this movie. Okay. I am looking forward to, at the very least, getting to rip into it next week. If I do <laughs> not enjoy it, hopefully I'm wrong. Don't expect Tune it. Tune in next week to listen to Sean roast Robert Downey Jr. No, 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 no. Not, not Robert Downey Jr. I love the man. We'll uh, hopefully take the opportunity, because I don't think that there will be that many layers to this movie. Yeah. Hopefully we'll take the opportunity with the extra time to maybe 
just talk about him as a person, him through his career, what he's done, what he's been through, where he is now, what we expect from him in the future. Tune in next week for Doodle, and thanks for listening. This has been The Clemson Take. You can find us on Instagram at The Clemson Take. We'll keep you updated on anything that's going on there. Nate, where can people find you? They can find me at underscore, underscore, Naderade, underscore. That's Instagram. To be honest, I did not remember you having that many underscores. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's a story behind that. But, yeah, it's two underscores, Naderade, underscore. Lovely. You can find me at Sean T. Place. That's S-E-A-N-T and then Place, just like the word, P-L-A-C-E. And also you can check out our website, which is theclemsontake.movie.blog. We will post this podcast, our future podcasts, and our past podcasts will be on there. There will also be blog posts about what other TV shows we're watching and news that has us excited. As well as maybe an occasional movie review of things that we've seen in the past. Maybe I'll put up reviews of my top five movies from this year. So please check out our website. That's again, that is theclemsontake.movie.blog. And have a wonderful week.